Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the podcast that exists to help companies rethink how they win new business. Each week, I sit down with marketers, creatives, and storytellers to break down the commercial strategies that actually work with the modern day buyer. Let's get started. Today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Ross Simmons, founder and CEO of Foundation Marketing. How are you doing, Ross? I'm doing well, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, I've just gotten back from holiday and you're one of the very first recorded calls uh, I'm taking. So you'll have to be patient with me. Uh, if, <laughs> if I fluff, fluff a couple of lines, it's because I'm still shaking off that holiday brain. That's all right. I've been there as well. I am uh, coming off of a longer vacation myself. So we might be rusty, but I think uh, the listeners are still going to get some value out of it. So let's, uh, let's do our best. Let's do it. So uh, I almost want to say you need no introduction because I feel like I've been following you on Twitter for the past decade. I don't know if you've been on Twitter that long, but that's how long it feels uh, to me. Is that accurate? Good. Um, And you are just a kind of fountain of of wisdom when it comes to content creation, uh, uh, production and distribution. And we're going to be digging a little bit into that third bucket today because I think there's a lot of great content out there being created by B2B organizations. Perhaps the distribution is where uh, some businesses fall short in terms of maximizing their assets. But before we get into the nitty gritty, tell me a little bit about you, your career today and what you're doing today. Definitely. So I'm the founder of Foundation Marketing. We're a B2B content marketing firm that works with everything from up and coming SaaS companies all the way through to publicly traded cloud companies that have fundamentally changed their industries and their spaces. We help those organizations with strategy, creation and distribution. Over the years, my bread and butter has always been in the wonderful world of marketing. That's kind of where I've kind of put my hat in the ring and have focused. I would have said like many years back, if you go back into time, I got my first start in the wonderful world of fantasy football blogging and selling do-rags, but eventually my career kind of transitioned into the wonderful world of SaaS and I've ran SaaS companies, I've invested in a handful of SaaS companies, um, and I love everything that has to do with tech and the the elevation of work. So um, I'm a big believer in content, big believer in distribution, um, big believer in the internet. I'm, uh, I'm pro-internet very much through and through, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to to jump in and chat with you today about distribution and hopefully your listeners can get a lot out of this. I'm sure they will, but let's quickly dig for 30 seconds into that fantasy football part of your career. We're talking American football? We are talking American football. I know over in Europe, it's uh, controversial. Soccer is still how I would refer to that football. Um, but uh, yeah, we're I'm talking American football. That's awesome. So uh, I'm probably one of the only Brits out there that couldn't care less about uh, English football, soccer, however yes. you want to call it. Yes. Just not something I've ever really been that passionate about. And I think it comes down to just how low the scoring is in, in most right. cases, right? I just, it, I can't get excited watching 90 yeah. minutes that ends in a zero, in, in, in a nil-nil draw. I started getting <laughs> into the NFL about five or six years ago, Arizona Cardinals, right. that's my team. They were on a tear yes. back at 2015, 2016. I thought, I love the underdog, yes. so I'm going to throw my hat in with them. Regretted it ever awesome. since, but I've got all the merchandise, so I can't go back on it now. <laughs> I love it. Give, I love it. Awesome. Give me, give me one pick for my fantasy football team this year. Ooh, good one. So I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna go QB. A lot of people wouldn't go QB, but Jalen Hurts, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. He is going to have an amazing season with the signing of uh, AJ Brown. You've heard it here first. Okay, well, I'm writing that down because I am doing a fantasy football league uh, with some of my colleagues this year. And when I win it, 
I will share yeah, the trophy with you. I'll cut it in half Sounds and I'll good. fire it and I'll send it over your way. That works. That um, works. He should be a late round sleeper too, so you should be able to get him. Awesome. Let's start out with an easy one. Why do most B2B companies suck at effective content distribution? What's holding them back? Yeah, so a lot of B2B companies struggle with content distribution because of two key reasons. One, they overcomplicate it. They don't understand it. They think that they um, aren't suited for it and they really just don't get it. So they take an easy way out where they essentially will send out a tweet, they'll share it on LinkedIn, and then they'll call it a day and say, okay, on to the next thing. Let's write another blog post. Let's continue to create more content. Um, this is something that happens on a regular basis. Brands get excited about the idea of content distribution, but they don't really know what to do. And I think that is what holds most of them back. The second thing that oftentimes holds them back is the fear of kind of um, either one being disliked and judged by the people who follow them and them being too promotional, so to speak, or two, the fear that their content isn't actually that good. And that when they distribute it too much, it might actually prove to themselves, wow, the content that we're doing isn't actually as high value and high quality as we might have thought. So what you have to do is accept the fact that like these are both key things that you need to shake. You need to shake the idea that, all right, if your content isn't good, the only way that you can actually validate that or know that is if you increase the sample size that gets exposure to your content. So it's important that you distribute your content for that reason. Second, the folks that dislike you if or unfollow you because you're being too promotional, maybe they weren't the right fit. Maybe you're promoting your content, you're distributing your content, and they just realize, yeah, I'm not in the market for this. I don't care about this. I don't care about this solution, this software, this tool. That is an okay situation as well, but you have to get over it. And in that first bucket, if you are someone in an organization that really doesn't understand how to embrace content distribution, you're thinking to yourself, we've shared it on Twitter. We put up a post on LinkedIn. Isn't that enough? And you're like, I thought it was like, what else should I do? There are a ton of resources online that I would encourage you to dive into and study and learn because content distribution is kind of in the early stages of its kind of life cycle in the industry. Like a lot of people are familiar with content creation. We all know what it looks like to do to write a good blog post, but we don't know what it looks like to do a good job at repurposing and repackaging a blog post. And that is something that I think is something that more and more people are learning. And there's a ton of great resources um, that I would strongly encourage you to like get your team to study, absorb and take on so they can kind of elevate themselves. And I guess there's also value there in leadership within these SaaS organizations that you work with also doing their due diligence and, and their research on content repurposing, content distribution, particularly in those startups that you work with, where perhaps there isn't a huge content team out there pumping out a bunch of stuff, those kind of core fundamentals on how to create great content, but also how to place great yeah. content, super valuable for the executive team as well, right? So important, right? Like I think at the end of the day, it starts at the top. And for a lot of these organizations, it's difficult because at the top, they don't really know what content distribution really means. They're not familiar with like how to repackage content, how to repurpose content to them. Um, they might just think if you press publish on a blog post, then traffic is supposed to show up. If you press publish on a webinar, people are supposed to attend. But in reality, you actually have to distribute this stuff. And if you want to capture ROI out of it, a return on the investment that you made to create these things, then the best thing you could do is to distribute that content effectively across various channels um, and really start to milk it as much as you can to extract dividends and value from it. Absolutely. I think it's important at this point to just quickly clarify the difference between 
content distribution and content syndication because I think mm. particularly in B2B organizations that don't have a fully functioning or fully fledged marketing team, it's being run by the founder or perhaps, you know, marketing has never really been a core part of their go-to-market commercial strategy. It's been predominantly sales-led, but now they're looking to pivot and add a little bit of a demand generation component to, to their operations. It's an easy thing, you know, for a CEO to look at a content syndicator and say, well, look, I just got to sign a check. I can give them my content right. and they're going to get it in front of our prospective yeah. buyers. Can you just give me quickly 15, 20 seconds on the difference between the two and, and kind of your take on where either one makes sense? Yeah. So in my opinion, content distribution is an overarching um, term. It's kind of like the holistic category of what happens after you press publish with various assets that you've created. That could be promoting something on Twitter, LinkedIn, submitting it into a community manually. It could be turning something into a medium post and syndicating it through there or turning it into a LinkedIn post or turning it into an Instagram carousel. All of those different things fall into types of content distribution efforts. Syndication is one lane amongst many that ways to spread your content. Syndication is simply the act of taking a piece of content that you produce and then having it show up on other platforms through like an aggregation service or something of that nature. That is just one type of distribution. It is not a holistic distribution strategy. It is one type of distribution for your content. And does content syndication make sense for all B2B organizations? Like what are the kind of triggers that you should be looking for within, within your business that going down that one yeah. lane either solely or as yeah. part of a bigger kind of strategy makes sense? Great question. So I think every distribution strategy, every marketing strategy starts with a specific understanding of where your audience is spending time. And we like to call that a foundation channel user fit. You need to start with channel user fit. What channels are your audience spending time on? What channels, what websites, what networks, what spaces, what communities is your audience spending time on on a regular basis? Is your audience spending time on this aggregator, using it to unlock and learn about your industry or learn about a specific niche or a space? If the answer to that is no, then you might not have channel user fit. So you first need to do the research to understand what channels they spend time on, what type of content is even performing well on these channels. Because once you do that, once you start to understand what content, what topics, what stories are resonating on that channel, you start to uncover content user fit. You start to uncover the insight around this is the type of content that people on this channel want. And when you have those two things, when you have channel user fit and content user fit, you essentially have content market fit, where you have uncovered essentially the channel in which your audience is spending time, the best type of content to put on that channel. And essentially you have the ability to now do that consistently for quarters after quarters, years after years to unlock and reap the benefits of content distribution. So when you are making a decision around content syndication, the first step is to ensure that you have channel user fit. Because I've seen it so many times where organizations will throw money at a syndication effort, not realizing that on the other end of that is literally no one. You want to ensure that your buyers, the people who you want to influence are actually consuming that content. That it doesn't just have a cool UI or cool UX and then it's like, oh, fancy, let's 
put our content here. No, that's not enough. You need to understand that your audience is there, that the content that is being produced and shared there actually resonates with them. And you're seeing some engagement at metrics, whether that's upvotes or comments or shares or likes or links, whatever it might be. You need to see engagement metrics happening to demonstrate to you that there's content user fit. And then from there, if you do have that, then start the engine, start the engine and go aggressively at that channel because you've just unlocked something special. And that is the channel that you should tap into consistently. I love that. And I love its simplicity. And often, you know, what seems like a really complex topic, you know, to the point where maybe you are averse to actually diving into it and doing your research is simple, right? It makes complete sense what you just said. Find out where your buyers are spending time, find out the kind of content that they enjoy consuming and just double down. That's all, that's all you've got to do. But it's almost deceptively simple because actually going through that process of uncovering those insights, uh, you tell me it's not something that's going to get done in an afternoon, nor is it something that's going to be done and done forever. You know, it's got a constant feedback loop and constant iteration over time. That's exactly it, right? Like there's so many different channels. Since we've started talking, I can guarantee you someone just promoted or amplified a new network, a new community, a new subreddit, a new channel that none of us are familiar with, but might just be the next new thing. And that's okay. That's what keeps our industry exciting. That's what keeps us excited to wake up every day and see, oh, is there opportunities that we should be chasing? Is the, It keeps this industry so much fun. Um, but with that comes the requirement to actually constantly be researching and constantly be studying the trends and the behaviors of your audience and the people that you're looking to connect with. One week, your audience might love a certain subreddit. One week, your audience might love a certain podcast or newsletter. They might all subscribe to a certain Substack. They might all subscribe to a different community or a Slack channel or something of that nature. But the only way that you can constantly stay in the loop on the things that are shaping your audience's behavior is the idea of constantly doing that research. So yes, it it doesn't just happen in an afternoon. Yes, in an afternoon, you might be able to get a few nuggets, a few new insights, et cetera, but it's an iterative process. It's a process that requires a commitment to really studying your space and more than anything, studying your audience. Um, That's really what it comes down to. So yes, the the research process is in no way, shape or form just a one-time thing. It's something that should be happening consistently Uh, And it's something that should be informing your decisions for years to come. You've worked with dozens, if not hundreds of B2B companies over your career. Um, I'm sure you've seen almost all and every iteration of a content marketing uh, strategy uh, within startups Mm -hmm. and all the way up through to publicly traded companies, as you said. What are some of the kind of common trends or or kind of skills that you think companies are lacking that internally that really allow them to do content distribution well? Yeah, I think the biggest piece is probably that research side. It's very difficult for companies to understand the nuances of understanding like the research that is required to uncover channel user fit or content user fit. It's easy for a brand, especially when they start to get to a certain scale, to think, okay, all we need to do is generate press. All we need to do is generate buzz. If the New York Times writes about us, we're successful. If TechCrunch writes about us raising fundraising, then we're successful. And that's essentially as far as some of these organizations go, where they just want to see those high-level metrics. But what you want to really do is spend the time to get close to your customers and understand the full journey that they go through and the different channels that might influence them at different steps 
steps of the way. In the world of SaaS, people oftentimes will sleep on the idea of reviews and the power that reviews play in getting someone to convert. Yes, there is a significant business to be made and a business case to be made around Gartner reports and those types of things that you can consume to see like who's in the top quadrant and that's the software solution you're going to make as it relates to your digital transformation. All of that information is still highly valuable and definitely plays a role. But more and more, we're seeing the Yelpification of B2B take place where sites like Captera and G2 and Trust Radius, et cetera, and even some niche sites starting to play a role in doing comparison pages influence the audience. But if you don't spend time to research, if you don't have the skill sets internally to understand how to do research, then you kind of rely on some of the old best practices. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of brands kind of make. They don't arm their teams with the research. They don't train their teams on how to do the research. And if you can't train your teams on the research, then the best thing that you could do is to engage a research firm to constantly deliver that content for you. The best thing you could do would be to subscribe your team to a handful of professionals and marketers and analysts who are doing this research on a day-to-day basis Get your entire team subscribed to it so they are being exposed to these new ideas and new concepts on a regular basis. And that is going to elevate your culture as it relates to your team. Now, the second thing that I think a lot of these organizations struggle with is the the rate of speed in which this industry changes, right? Like I think a lot of times we... Um, we, we take a approach that is ultimately rooted in techniques and strategies from 2014 when we're operating in a whole new landscape. That is not the approach that any brand should take. But oftentimes they find themselves doing the old things just because they read a blog post that happened to still be ranking in Google. And then they're like, oh, great. So we should stuff all of this blog post with keywords. We need to get a bunch of backlinks. Let's buy those on Fiverr and call it a day. When in reality... Things change. Algorithms change, people change, and strategies need to change as well. And we can sometimes see organizations just move too slow to actually adopt and change with um, shifts happening in the industry. I'm putting myself in the shoes of a, of, a, of a founder or, you know, a solo marketer sitting there and listening to this and thinking this all is really resonating with me, but it's a minefield. I just don't know where to start. Because as you say, I could put something into Google and it could return me something that at face value sounds correct, but actually the information is way out of date. I mean, where would you yeah. recommend that founder, that that solo marketer starting to you know, put together a kind of portfolio of inputs that are going to really keep them top of the game? Yeah, it's a great question. There's so many different places that you can go to kind of get this type of information. There's a handful of communities that exist today that I would recommend folks to join. Um, I think there's spaces that you can kind of start to dive into today. Listening to, I mean, anyone who's listening to this, right? Like they've already demonstrated the, the desire to be better. And that's ultimately better than most people. Like no one would be listening to your podcast if they didn't have that itch to kind of better understand how to do B2B marketing. So that's the first step. The second step is to subscribe to various newsletters. You can go to Substack and start to type in things like B2B, type in SaaS, type in those types of keywords and start to subscribe to some of those folks that are actually practitioners and who have 
put in the work to actually build like real businesses or help these businesses grow. Um, Foundation, we do publish, and I know this is a complete shameless plug, but on a regular basis, we produce content that breaks down resources of like how um, organizations have been able to scale their content marketing engines. So whether that's interviewing top CMOs, whether that's reverse engineering the success of some of the most successful companies of the years, I would encourage people to subscribe to our newsletter. Um, It's filled with resources and free information that would help you scale your content marketing engine and give you the blueprints to be able to do that. So that would be one of those uh, shameless plugs. But ultimately, I definitely think folks would find a lot of value in what we produce on a regular basis, especially if you work in B2B and SaaS. Well, I know I do, right? And just to be clear, this isn't a sponsored episode. I, I, I invited you on freely to, to kind of share some of your wisdom and I'll drop the links to uh, your, your newsletter and the foundation website in the description of this episode. But I think also I just want to touch on one word you said there, which was community. You know, mm. over the last three years of me being more present and active on social media, first on Twitter and increasingly on LinkedIn and exposing myself to this amazing network of B2B marketers across the globe, it's done wonders for my career and my knowledge um, in how to do effective B2B marketing. And I think even just jumping onto Twitter or to LinkedIn and just finding 10 or 15 people that you can follow that, you know, are, are kind of recommended or, or, or got or got good followings um, um, from the rest of the marketing community, um, it's just a great place to start if, if, if you want to start anywhere. Um, cause there's a lot of free information being given out there. That's a super high quality by the individuals themselves, by the actual practitioners, as you say, um, I would like to get your take on where you think sales teams come into the mix. You know, is yeah. there anything that marketing can and should be doing to equipping their commercial colleagues to go out there and take advantage of repurposing themselves every single day? I think sales and marketing should work hand in hand together. It's a a mistake that we oftentimes view them as separate silos and they don't even share KPIs or objectives. And it's a, it's a shame to go into some content cultures and see them kind of not view sales as their ally and their partner. And that's a, a major mistake. The first thing that I always try to do when I come into an engagement is to listen to sales calls. And I think that's one of the starting points. All marketers should have empathy for the dialogues that sales teams, BDRs, SDRs, et cetera, are having on a daily basis. And one of the best ways to do that is to either one, listen to the sales recordings or two, get a few reps in where you attend those sales calls and try to listen to the things that are being said from prospects and potential leads. And that will help you better understand the problems of your customers, but ultimately it will help you better understand how you can support your colleagues. Um, Listening to those, you might uncover opt opt opportunities that exist for your content marketing calendar to kind of say, all right, we need to create a case study on this specific pain point. We need to develop landing pages that are comparing our brand to a competitor because they just showed up on five different sales calls. If you listen to a sales call and maybe there's no long tail keyword traffic, you're going into Moz, you're going into Ahrefs, you're going into SEMrush, SimilarWeb, whatever tool you want to use, and you're not seeing any keyword traffic associated with your brand's name versus a competitor. But on the last five sales calls, their name showed up. That demonstrates that there might be some traffic happening associated with that keyword that you're not even seeing. So you want to create a landing page that shows your brand versus that brand. And you do that before some of those review sites that we talked about earlier. By producing that content, you're helping your sales team because your sales team now 
potentially has already been able to expose their value props, their messaging to the audience because they got to it via Google. Then they get on this call and they bring them up again. Your sales team is already equipped to send them this link so they can get a more in-depth rundown on it. Maybe in your content calendar plans, you identify one of your existing customers who transitioned from old product to your product, and then you do a video testimonial with them talking about the benefits and the success that they've had since they made that switch. These are things that are possible when you work closely with sales instead of working in a silo. And so many organizations make the mistake of doing that. They work in a silo, they don't work closely with their sales teams and it holds them back. So my first reco would be immediately to start scheduling time to listen to sales recordings, scheduling time to collaborate with your sales team and work together to unlock content marketing excellence. I think that word silo is really important um, because I think sometimes it can also create a culture where, you know, marketing is seen as the kind of order, order takers of the sales mm. function, particularly in kind of high enterprise B2B environments, predominantly a sales led go to market commercial strategy, you know, marketing's there to kind of feed us with content and maybe we'll kind of reshare it across our profiles, but we're not going to do anything else with it, you know. In B2B more than anywhere, people buy from people. You know, you've already talked about user reviews and, you know, building credibility of B2B brands. If you're selling a million dollar contract for a piece of software, you know, you're really buying it from the person who's selling it as opposed to the logo, um, you know, of, of, of the brand. Uh, you know, what's your kind of take there on sales teams taking that marketing content that's maybe being published on the blog and doing something with it across their yeah, personal it, social media accounts, like really leaning into that employee advocacy piece? Great question. So when you think about sales teams, they are an amplification resource, right? Like, And they should want to be that amplification resource because the more they are being associated with the brand and with the content, as long as it's high value, the more likely people are to go to them to learn about the product. And if that happens, it means that they're going to hit their quota a little bit more easily than their peers and their colleagues, which is a great thing. So I think sales teams and salespeople should be a part of the content culture. When a piece of content goes live, the salespeople should be involved in the amplification of that asset. And one of the best ways that we've seen success in this is actually hosting sessions where you train your salespeople on how to be public facing on social media. A lot of folks who are in sales are uncomfortable building up personal brands because it's not something they've ever done before. They see a lot of value with picking up the phone. They can make a bunch of calls every single day. They can jump on the phone and build a strong relationship. But when it comes to putting up a great intro to a post on LinkedIn or crafting a great Twitter thread, it's something that sometimes feels foreign to them. And even amidst the industry, sometimes they even say that's marketing's job. That's not what we're supposed to do. But in reality, once they get a taste, of a few people sending them a DM, sending them a message saying, wow, thank you so much for adding value. I would love to learn a little bit more about insert your software name here. It has been able to help other companies do this thing. Can we chat? That's when light bulbs come off. That's when they start to realize that they have a superpower if they can distribute and promote content that the marketing team is arming them with. So hosting sessions that train your sales team on how to be great at LinkedIn, Twitter, even TikTok, if that's the lane that you want to go down, can be an amazing opportunity for your organization to unlock new levels of growth and success. I, I've definitely, I've definitely experienced that kind of skepticism um, from sales folk uh, in building their personal brands. Um, if they've been, yeah. particularly if they're, 
you know, they've got long careers, right? And they've been doing things right. in a certain way for, for years, if not decades. But, you know, I think it's about starting small, right? Find that, find that small group of sales professionals in your organization who you see are already posting on social media in their own time without any, you know, pushing from, from the marketing uh, team or from, from the organization and start with them. You know, let's build some structure yep. around your, what you're doing. Let's give you some, you know, advice and some support to increase the amount of content that you're getting out there, improve the quality of it. And let's get some, uh, let's get some wins through the door. And then you can take those exactly. wins. As you said, you know, it just takes one big deal to land that started from a personal connection created on LinkedIn through the content distribution strategy. Everyone's suddenly going to want to do it. That's it. The content Content is one of the best like compounding efforts. The more you create, the more stories you tell, the more content you distribute, the more content you promote, the more opportunities that potentially will show up at your door. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't even realize is like you need to view content like an investment. Every single piece that you press publish on should have some type of ROI and you might not see it immediately. But if you fast forward two years, three years from now, you might find that that piece that you promoted is actually paying significant dividends for years, if not quarters to come. TikTok, Reddit, Substack, Medium, your sales team, all examples of channels that we've already talked about in the last half an hour. Are there any other channels that you think uh, B2B organizations are underutilizing right now? I think one of the biggest is inside of niche communities. There's a lot of niche communities that exist that people are not capitalizing on in B2B. And it could be a niche community that is public, like a subreddit. It could be a private niche community, like a Slack group or a Facebook group. And I think B2B brands have the opportunity to show up in these communities in two different ways. One, organically, you can pay for a membership, you can pay for a subscription, you can be within that community and engaging with your audience, the buyers, the people who are in it by adding value to their life every single day, every single week, whatever your cadence is, you're in those communities adding value. If you can do that, you're going to build great relationships, you're going to build great connections, you're going to unlock new opportunities because you're essentially advertising and connecting with people who are exactly who you want to speak to. That is an amazing opportunity. I think it's something that is oftentimes intimidating to a lot of B2B brands because they think it's not scalable, but essentially you can put on a different hat for a second. It's no longer the community manager that you would hire to run your Twitter account. It's the community manager that you would hire to go into these groups and manage real relationships. They're kind of like a BDR or an SDR that actually just is building relationships by adding valuable content valuable responses, engaging and interacting with people in a valuable way. And that can be an amazing win. Now, there's another way to interact with these communities as well. And that's through good old fashioned sponsorship. You can reach out to the person who runs a successful Facebook group, who runs a successful Slack community, et cetera. And you can ask them to collaborate with you to come up with an interesting way for you to add value to their community. Now, that's where it gets interesting. A lot of people think that the best approach is, let me just sponsor your group. And you put up a post in Slack and say, this channel is brought to you by Ross. That's boring. Nobody's actually clicking the link. Nobody cares. Nobody's actually going to be very like flattered to see that you're involved in this. What you want to do is think about how you can add value to that community in an interesting way. Do you run a joint webinar with that team? Do you bring in a um, expert for that community and you sponsor that, you introduce them, you talk about them. They then ultimately are talking about your product, whatever that may be. You want to get creative. 
and let the person who runs the community guide you with the opportunities that might exist from a creative lens because they'll likely know the community better than you and they might even be able to support you in coming up with something that's not even in your um, world of kind of thinking as it relates to a creative opportunity to engage. I 100% agree. I think if I could riff on that just for one second, the one thing I'd say is that, you know, it depends on the kind of makeup of the community. Um, you know, if you're working with like a like a trade association or an industry industry association that has been around for a long time, you know, my experience in working with those kind of partners is they either you know don't have a particular interest in changing up the format of how right. they actually deliver right. value to <laughs> to sponsors, um, or they're unable to. You know, they just either don't have the infrastructure or or, or the mindset to to kind of pivot. And absolutely, I, I think kind of the best relationships with these communities, with these partnerships are collaborative. And it's when you're working together to drive value for both sides. But yeah. if you're not seeing it on the other side of the table, you know, from that entity and you already have a commercial relationship with them or you're considering it, you've got to push them because yeah. there are just some associations out there that are happy to take the check and, yeah. you know, throw your logo on a couple of email blasts or, you know, send out a social media saying, thank you very much, you know, for this sponsorship. Um, if right. you're not happy with what you're getting in, in, in return, you've got to push that partner. And if they're unwilling yeah. or unable to, to kind of meet you where you're at, as you say, there are plenty of these communities popping up all over the place. Maybe this is a good opportunity for you to think outside of the box and try something new. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's uh, that's a big opportunity right now for a lot of B2B brands. And um, it, again, starts with research, right? Like you don't want to just go to Google and type in best communities for X, Y, and Z, and then just start throwing money at them. You want to understand, is there channel user fit? Again, is my audience actually spending time in this community? How engaged are they? You want to do that due diligence and then from there make the decisions that are going to move the needle for your business. As we wrap up, Ross, I ask every guest uh, on B2B Better this question. I'm keen to get your thoughts. What's going to be the biggest change in how B2B companies market themselves over the next five years? I think the biggest shift is going to be in the elevation of people. As you mentioned earlier, like people do business with people. And I think more and more B2B companies are going to start realizing that they need to train and support their sales teams to create personal brands, to help their marketing team even develop their own personal brands or their leadership team build a bit of a personal brand. Um, and in doing so, when you start to see the people kind of become the face of the brand, it's going to be easier for those people to leverage their networks to drive value for the company. So I think more and more, we're going to see humans actually act like humans and brands kind of taking a bit of a step back as people start to lean more heavily towards like wanting to do business with other people. Couldn't agree more and a great answer to cap off this interview. Ross, tell us a little bit, where can people find out more about you and foundation marketing? Yeah, so definitely check out foundationinc.co to learn a little bit more about Foundation. We are a content marketing firm. We work with B2B SaaS companies every single day to help them unlock new levels of growth. We also have a great subscription service where you can subscribe to get access to some of the best breakdowns and resources around some of the most successful SaaS companies. I strongly encourage you to subscribe to the newsletter to get access to that. And you can find me at rossimmons.com or at the coolest cool on most social media platforms. I would love to connect with you there. Always happy to geek out and chat about content marketing, social media distribution, et cetera. So by all means, feel free to connect with me on all of your favorite channels. And if you add me to LinkedIn, just let everyone, let me know that you uh, were listening to B2B better and I'll, uh, I'll definitely connect with you there. Ross, I'll drop the links to all of those profiles down in the description of this episode. But otherwise, thank you very much for coming on to B2B Better. 
Thanks for having me. Appreciate your time. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you want to learn more about how to win new business through modern day marketing, head over to my website, www.jasonrbradwell.com for a ton more interviews with marketers, creators, and storytellers on the strategies that they're deploying to create demand with B2B buyers. It would also mean a lot if you could leave a review of this podcast, hit subscribe, or share it with a friend. Bonus points for all three. It's all massively appreciated. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason R. Bradwell or connect with me on LinkedIn. See you next time.